you will turn with me in your Bible and read again from the record of the history of the Judges, chapter 11, verse 5 through verse 11 again this morning. In this record, beginning at verse 5, and it was so that when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. And they said unto Jephthah, Come and be our captain, that we may fight with the children of Ammon. Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, Did not ye hate me and expel me out of my father's house? And why are ye come unto me now when ye are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, Therefore we turn again to thee now, that thou mayest go with us and fight against the children of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, If ye bring me home again to fight against the children of Ammon, and the Lord deliver them before me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, The Lord be witness between us, if we do not so, according to thy words. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and captain over them. And Jephthah uttered all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Turn again, please, in your hymn book. And stand with me once again to sing together hymn number 663. Yeah. 
can part from him that dwells within. Thy tender gracious Lord impart completely from above. Thy name upon my heart, thy name, O God, is love. Thank you. Be seated. Lord willing, we will look again this morning at this text, Judges chapter 11, verse 5 through 11. I had taken up these verses first on last week. And in that message last week, out of the fullness of my own heart, I was altogether taken up with that evangelical typology, the type of the evangel that is in the person of Jephthah here in these scenes. And I spent our time together in that message opening the glorious gospel application of this passage. There is, those of you that know me know that that is where my heart is most fully enraptured. I love the study, academic study, theology. It is, I suppose, my favorite subject all the subjects that can be studied. I don't claim to have a great knowledge of it, but I have a great love for it. But it all pales in my experience, my heart, in comparison to the study and declaration of this blessed gospel. I love to hear it. I love to see it in every text. And it seems the older I get, the more I do see it in every text. The representation of the person of Christ. And so last week's message was taken up with more of an evangelical rather than an historical view of these verses. But now today, I would have us to look again at these same verses with a more expository eye and see the great lessons here to our hearts. Taking up the story again, I would simply remind you first of the place in which Israel finds herself. She has been, as a nation, drastically weakened by her idolatry. 
weakened not only within but from without, weakened against her enemies. But you'll recall that the Lord has sent at the end of chapter 10 a great and true revival. Taking up at verse 5, we read these words, And it was so that when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. I said theirs has been a true and godly repentance, a real and righteous revival, not just a something posted on a sign on the side of the road or announced by men, but a true, I believe, and righteous revival. And now they seek they seek out a commander to lead them. A man equipped of God to embolden them against their enemies. Not only a man equipped of God, but a man appointed of God whose leadership will muster all of God's people to the faithful and successful execution of God's wars against his enemies. We saw last week that our God in his divine wisdom and sovereign providence has prepared exactly what they need. <laughs> but now they must secure it. I hope you catch the lesson in the wording, as I have made it, God in his sovereign providence and divine wisdom has prepared exactly what they need, but they must secure it. <laughs> there is a lesson, sidelight if you please there. You see, the victory is the Lord. But the warfare is ours. Ephesians 6 and verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Put on, put on the whole armor of God. The words translated there from the Greek literally mean to sink down into a garment. This is the work that you must do. You must do. The victory is the Lord's and only he can secure it. But the warfare is yours. Our God must give the victory. But ours is the battle. Yes, the Lord has prepared for himself a man perfectly suited to every need they have in this crisis hour, but they must secure. They must secure. You notice the Lord didn't send out an angel to dispatch him. <laughs> they must secure him. So then, Israel by way of her elders we've read must go in verse 5 and fetch him. 
And then in verse 6 we find the exact words of their appeal. And they said unto Jephthah, Come and be our captain, that we may fight with the children of Ammon. It is a direct, it is an unambiguous, it is a desperate cry for help. Come and be our captain that we may fight with the children of Ammon. Here they entreat him to be their captain. That is, that word is implies that he is to be the head of their military. This is the exact same word that's used in Joshua chapter 10 and verse 24 when Joshua is addressing himself to the captains of his people. And it came to pass when they brought out those kings unto Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said unto the captains of the men of war. Exact same word is used there. And from it we know that he's they're addressing to him a plea to take charge of the military operation. Where it speaks there of Joshua's commanders in their different divisions. The Hebrew word is called seen. And it means to be in charge of the military capacities. Later in verse 9 and verse 11, we'll find the word head. In verse 9, they say, Jephthah, if you bring you home again, he says, and I fight against, to fight against the children of Ammon and the Lord deliver them before me. Shall I be your head? And verse 11, Jephthah went to the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and captain. This is a different word. The word Roshi. The chief and principal ruler over all, not just the military now, but over all. Only here, verse 6, they seek him for his service in deliverance from their imminent danger, only in his military capacity. Oh, can I just point it out again? I will point it out again to you. What a gospel picture is here, even in these proceedings. Israel, by heaven-sent repentance, has realized their danger and has called out for help, as we shall see as this story unfolds. But yet, they have yet to grasp fully their whole need as they will. And to that end, Jephthah responds in this way. Verse 7, And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, Did not ye hate me and expel me out of my father's house? And why are ye come unto me now when ye are in distress? Oh, what a blessed 
gospel understanding we have here. Jephthah responds in this way. They've come and said, we would like for you to be the head over the, be the captain over our military just and give us deliverance, relief from this imminent danger. And Jephthah responds rather than immediately to take up that, take up that position from them. Jephthah responds and says, what? What? Did you not hate me and expel me out of my father's house? <laughs> oh, blessed Lord. How well do the true saints of God, all of those of us that are truly born again souls, how well do we remember this painful moment? Oh yes, oh yes, Jephthah could be saying, your repentance has been real. Your repentance has been honest. Your repentance has been thorough, but it has not yet been made full. You've not yet been driven to the full humiliation of your desperate plot. What, he says, what, what, why have you come to me? Didn't you cast me out? Didn't you hate me? With those words, they're made to feel painfully their grievous didn't you expel me? Why are you coming to me now in your distress? Hallelujah. What a gospel picture. Distress. The Hebrew word tarar. It means to cramp. It means to shut, be shut up in a straight place. Why are you coming to me now that you're cramped into this tight place? Didn't you hate me? Didn't you expel me? <laughs> Boy, this is not the picture you'd find in most evangelical circles today, is it? I say to you this morning that too much of what passes for salvation too much of what passes for conversion today falls short. It stops too soon. They've come and said, hey, come back. Come back to us. Come back and take over the military and deliver us from this tragedy and all this despair and problems we've got. Help us and deliver us. And he turns and says to them, what? Why have you come to me? Am I not the one you expelled? Didn't you hate me? <laughs> oh, many in their haste in our day to count numbers have left sinners only half born and therefore still born because they have not brought them 
to full repentance. Why have you come to me? What then? What must Israel do? What more must they do? Here it is. Here it is in verse 8. The elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, Therefore we turn to thee now, that thou mayest go with us and fight against the children of Israel, uh, the children of Ammon, and be our head. Be our head. Be our head. Oh, what more, I ask, must Israel do? Turn again, verse 8. Turn again. Now it is not just that he should be their captain and deliver them out of their troubles, but no, now it is that he must be their head. <laughs> oh, well, our modern soul winners would say, our modern soul winners would say, surely now that's enough. I mean, they've said all the right things, didn't they already? In verse 5 and 6. and Didn't they say the right words? Didn't they say the right things? Haven't they done enough? Surely Jephthah now would be eager to go with them and help them out. Surely now wouldn't he be ready? But the answer is no, 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 no. You see in this text... His salvation, His deliverance for them, His aid in their crisis will be well and truly effected only on their willingness to submit to His rule unconditionally and publicly. Amen. Oh, look at verse 9 and 10. Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, If you be, bring me home again to fight against the children of Ammon and the Lord deliver them before me. Shall I be your head? The elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, The Lord be hearer. I love that word in the marginal reading. The Lord be hearer between us. We do not sow according to thy words. This is a covenant in which the Lord is a hearer. And it's not enough that they want relief. It's not enough that they need a military guide now. It's not enough. No, says Jephthah. I'll be your head or I'll be nothing. Will you vow that? Will you take a vow to that? Will you covenant with me? And the Lord be a hearer? Oh, away with this foolishness of our day. So-called conversions. Without full repentance. I remember in the 1970s, it was a big controversy. I don't know how it got, well I do know how it got to be a controversy. Weak and foolish Arminian doctrine had laid the groundwork because it got to be a controversy among 
at least among the Southern Baptist ranks where I was, as to whether or not there was such a thing as lordship salvation. That was a term they used back then, lordship salvation. Can a man be saved, have a savior who's not lord? <laughs> well, I don't know how others felt. There was a lot of books written and articles and controversy. didn't take me five seconds to settle the matter. He's Lord. God has made him Lord. I didn't even get to vote. I don't come to Jephthah just to relieve me from my situation. He said, I'll be your head. Are you prepared to covenant that? I'll be your head. Let the Lord be a hearer. You see, this must be a solemn affair. It is to be a full and flawless commitment to His rule and nothing short. Say that again. It must be a full and flawless commitment to His rule or nothing. This, says Rogers, is the only, this is the only key to what is called true salvation. We turn, shuab, the Hebrew word, it literally means to retreat, to reverse, to go back. We turn. The condition laid down for Jephthah to go with us in verse 8 is that he would be their head in verse 9. Amen? <laughs> oh, it's not an insignificant thing that the Hebrew word turn in verse 8 is the exact same word as the word translated bring in verse 9. Now there's an interesting thing. The word turn in verse 8. Thou, thou mayest go with us and fight against the children of Israel. Uh, verse, verse 8. Therefore we turn again to thee now. It's the same word, verse 9. If ye bring me home. Same word. Same Hebrew word. The exact same word. Do you see what they're saying? We turn. Ye bring. It's the two aspects of the one and same action. We turn. And we bring our all. Oh, how well did Genevieve Irons express it in 1855 when she wrote these blessed words to this blessed hymn. Drawn to the cross which thou hast blessed with healing gifts for soul distressed to find in thee my life, my rest, Christ crucified. 
I come stained with the sins which I have wrought in word and deed and secret thought for pardon which thy blood hath bought Christ crucified I come weary of selfishness and pride false pleasures gone vain hopes denied deep in thy wounds my shame to hide Christ crucified I come I do not, I would not, if I could, conceal the ills which only thou canst heal. So to the cross where sinners kneel, Christ crucified, I come to be what thou wouldst have me be. Accepted, sanctified in thee through what thy grace shall work in me. Christ crucified, I come. I come. This is the only way. This is the gospel call. This gospel call is a call to turn and a call to submit to sovereign rule unconditioned away with this nonsense that knows of a savior that is not Lord Israel said we need you to help us we're in distress here he says if I help you out shall I be your head The Savior would put the same question. It's an unconditional surrender. It's an unconditional submission. You've heard them. I've heard them. Over the years, testimonies, saints. About their conversion experience. When they struggled. Struggled this way and then that way and pulled this way and pulled. Finally, they just throw it all up, Lord. If you can help me, help me. I'll follow you. I'll follow you. I'll obey for the rest of my life. Many is the one who've given that testimony and kept it. Kept it. What a gospel picture here. But now, what must be done? He's laid out the terms. They've heard them. So what must be done? Here it is. They must make a public acknowledgement. They must make a vow. Jephthah presses their commitment. Again, I read for you verse 9. And Jephthah said unto them, If you bring me home again and fight against the children of Ammon, and the Lord deliver them before me, shall I be your head? Verse 11, And they said, The people came, Gilead, they went with, Jephthah went with them to Gilead, and the people made him head. Verse 11, they took a vow. 
this newfound repentance must not be viewed lightly. It's a solemn and serious affair. I cringe, I grieve when some men come to me, friends, I would call them, and in their enthusiasm they recount to me some supposed conversion experience of someone they witnessed. I cringe as I listen to their words. Such a frivolous affair. This is serious business. This engagement with Jephthah is a serious business. Oh, here's a great lesson. It's not to be viewed lightly. It's a great lesson from our text. Rogers says this. If a man began to warp and bewry his hollowness or treachery, his stain is not easily washed out. Neither can he look for that current estimation or reverence which before he had nor scarce obtained so much afterwards as to be credited for all his profession. Although men will betrust a vessel with oil or wine while it's sound and whole, yet if it be begin to leak and run, they'll not commit anything unto them that they're in danger of losing. He's talking about men waffling. Men not consistent. He said our Savior asked Peter but once. Whom sayest thou that I am? And took his word when he deserved no other. Whereas afterwards he was not satisfied with one nor even two professions of his affection. Simon, lovest thou me? Good reason he had. He had made a great crack in his credit. What an expression. What an expression Rogers uses of Peter. He said he had made a great crack in his credit. And therefore he that had forsworn Christ deserved not upon his own bare word to be believed. And those who have deceived the opinion of the church touching their religion by falling into error and schism, their piety and honesty by gross offenses may think themselves, thank themselves, if ever afterward the people of God have them in a jealousy. This is serious business. This is serious business, not to be taken lightly. I couldn't tell you, and all of you would probably know who I'm talking about, but I'm not trying to indicate who it is. But I can't tell you how many times I've been told about revival meetings held in a local church here, and a profession made, two, three, four professions, five professions made in a single service, and the very next service, you can't even find those people. No following of Christ. This is serious business, says Rogers. He says, as we read in the ecclesiastical history, that when once the baptized party 
turned either from his religion or good conscience, as Miriam did. The church admitted him not without serious repentance and confession of his fault, but if he slipped the second time, they practiced greater severity towards him, enjoying them not to repentance only, but for a space of time to remain out of the church as infamous. Yea, some even of the reverendest fathers of those times, as Scipion and others, grew to this opinion that such were not to be admitted without rebaptizing. Hmm. I mean that the seal of forgiveness is not bought cheaply. Therefore, let all Christians look to this, their standing. The devil, if possible, will quite overthrow them, but if he cannot, he will foil them and take away the crown of their rejoicing, which is their faithfulness. This is a solemn warning. This is serious business. Away with all frivolity in the matter of professing Christ. Jephthah now, he tells us, went with the elders. Now notice again a sidelight here. Jephthah seeks no revenge for the wrong done to him. Oh yes, he questions their sincerity as well he should. And he even questions their motive. He asks them straight out, why have you come to me now in your distress? He questions their sincerity he even questions their motive, but listen to me. He agrees to help them without any recompense or revenge. Hmm. Oh, how gloriously pastoral are Roger's words here when he says, He would grace them with by his returning with those who had disgraced him by casting him off. He would grace them in his returning with those that had disgraced him in casting them off. Therefore now Jephthah is busy about God's matters never thinking of a revenge of his own private wrongs. And lo, the Lord is just as busy about Jephthah's affairs. <laughs> Hallelujah. And contriving how he may bring him forth out of his troubles. Is not this enough, says Rogers, is there not this enough to persuade us to make God our Father and Advocate and to plead for us and bring about all things according to His will to make God our great benefactor and our Advocate to plead for us. Yea, to tie 
our own hands behind us from putting them forth unlawfully in our own defense. May we not say now there is a truth in those words. Roll thy ways or cast thy care upon Jehovah and he will give thee thy heart's desire. Did he not do it for Jephthah? What a wise and pastoral counsel is this. Oh, he said that God would tie our hands behind us before we would attempt any defense for ourselves. Oh, what a kind and gracious God is ours. Jephthah sought no revenge. Jephthah says only what's necessary, which I spoke to you about. In verse 7, Jephthah says only what's necessary and nothing more. Oh, blessed Lord, would you pray with me that the Lord would give us wisdom to know what's best to say and grace to say no more. Rogers again speaks pastorally. He says, therefore herein we must crave of God a spirit of wisdom to direct us how to deal in like cases and whether to repeat wrongs done unto us and how far and when. As if they be but words and in heat and passion uttered than to pass by them. But if it shall be found expedient to rehearse our wrongs, yet this must be resolved by us to do it without bitterness and provoking of them who have hurt us. And if we can make them see their fault, it is well. But to this end, in the affection of our love, let us go about it and seek it at their hands, but not to cast them in the teeth of it. To ease and satisfy our stomachs thereby. And so stinging them, but earnestly rather desiring their good in anything that we may say. Oh, here's a great lesson in blessed Jephthah's life to teach us. Say whatever you must say, but say it with grace and say no more. Jephthah, one commentator pointed out, Jephthah rebuked them only once. Requires their public seal only once. And then mentions it no more. In a word, let it go. What great counsel that would be to our hearts in some cases and places in our lives. Just let it go. Another commentator said true friendship is generous, unselfish, forgiving. It does not stand on its rights or on its dignity. 
It's more concerned with the welfare of those in whom it's interested than with our own hearts. The patriot will not let his country suffer because he is personally piqued at the conduct of its leaders. The Christian should learn not to injure the cause of Christ through pride and offense which the wrong conduct of other persons in the church have caused. Israel is larger than the elders of Israel. I like that. So, Boy, there's a terse statement, profound in its magnitude. Israel is larger than its elders. The church is greater than her doctors and ministers. Jephthah is a type of Christ who does not refuse to help us, though we've rejected and offended him in the past. Hallelujah. Could I just say hallelujah? He does not refuse to help us. For we've rejected him and offended him. What a type. What a type. What a type of Christ is Jephthah. Now we come to this last verse. For our consideration today. And we read these words. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead. And the people made him head. And captain over them. And Jephthah uttered all his words. Before the Lord. They took a vow before the Lord. Oh, if there's one thing that this chapter will teach us preeminently here and far more later in the chapter, it is this, the awful gravity and all-consuming seriousness of a vow. The awful gravity and all-consuming seriousness of a vow. One commentator said the vow is often used only as a sign of presumption. Nothing is more weak than the vow at a time when we're called to make a sacrifice and then prove unwilling to the sacrifice when it's required. It is better to count the cost and refrain from the vow than to vow and not pay. It would be well, said this commentator, for us rather to turn our vows into prayers. And instead of promising that we will do a thing and later don't do it, we would be better to ask God to give us the grace to do it. But if the vow is made, it must be kept. Can I say to you, this is ours as a whole generation. 
yea, a whole culture of vow breakers. Marriage is counted nothing more than a minor legal arrangement. It's more difficult to secure a title to land or transfer it than it is to secure a marriage and disannul. We are living in a generation of vow breakers. One commentator is succinct. Yet in that succinctness he pointed this out when he said, Men must look carefully at what they swear. Jephthah will yet learn this lesson. This vow was told, we're told in verse 11, was made before the Lord. This expression is found in several other places in the scripture. And in every place, it wears the gravity of eternity. They spoke these words before the Lord. Oh, one example, and I'll not turn there for time, but Exodus chapter 34, you remember God's covenant with Moses. Words spoken before the Lord. Oh, I realize, I realize this morning that we don't have a tabernacle as Israel had, as Jephthah had here in this text. We don't have a tabernacle and an earthly priesthood, but our vows are just as binding and God is the hearer, verse 10, to our commitments. Especially those that are taken publicly. And God hates covenant breakers. It's serious business, I said. It's serious business. Said Rogers in one final quote, Therefore, let men account of oaths, listen, let men account of oaths as divine bands and pledges. Cautions of our fidelity and truth deposed left in the hands of God himself, which he that dare forfeit or break, let him be sure that God will find him out, if not in this world, yet hereafter, when he shall give him his portion in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone for stone forever, as indeed what punishment can equal that sin which overthroweth all civil and religious life, he says, what could be worse than a vow breaker? He'll surely burn in hell. That's strong preaching. That's the kind of preaching our pulpits don't have. A vow breaker. Be careful what you vow, especially what you vow publicly. Be careful what you commit to God that you're going to do. You better do it. God requires it of you. 
Verse 11. They uttered these words. Oh Lord. I shall have much more to say later. When we come to the end of this chapter. But for now let it. Let it suffice us to say. Israel has now. Vowed. Before God. And in the presence of the people. To commit their way. Unto the Lord. In the hands. Of this outcast. Hear me? They've committed. By vow. They've committed their way to the Lord. In the hands. Of this outcast. Jephthah. Oh the gravity. Of words spoken. Before the Lord. Had someone told me recently. When I questioned about their vow breaking. I know I said that, but I didn't know what it was going to be like. But you said it. You vowed it publicly. Jephthah will learn the vow must be kept. Unless it is a vow taken in violation of the direct command of God. We shall see. Turn back with me in your hymn book again, please. Stand with me, please, and sing 671. Standing, please. Heart 
and guide me by thy word. Whether the trembling oh, alarms or spreads the fatal snare, I'll fly to my Redeemer's arms, for safety must be there. My guardian, my almighty friend, on thee my soul would rest. On thee alone my hopes depend. In thee I